This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, uh, back on the show, Marianne Williamson, uh, best-selling New York Times author, uh, spiritual teacher, uh, inspirational lecturer, and somebody who is known worldwide. Uh, her focus right now is on a conference she has coming up this coming February uh, called uh, Sister Giant. It's going to be held in Washington, D.C., and we'll get all of those details from Marianne today. And we are here to uh, discuss and promote that conference. Marianne, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on our show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Marianne, let's get right to it. We're recording this uh, right before Christmas 2016. And um, for the last month or so or more, the intersection of spirituality and politics and social action has been on a lot of people's minds. You have Sister Giant coming up in less than two months. Tell us what inspired it and what the audience should know about it. Well, I'm one of those who believes that one of the reasons that the Democrats have been losing so um, pointedly, not only on a presidential level, but also on a congressional level, is because the soul of the Democratic Party has been sucked out of it. Bobby, Bobby Kennedy talked about how this was a contest for the soul of our nation. And the left-wing progressive conversation in the United States has become so over-secularized. It's so transactional rather than transformational. People talk about alliances and coalition building. But, you know, as the I Ching says, even thieves have alliances. There's some deeper level that we need to speak to each other from. You know, Gandhi said politics should be sacred. By that, he didn't mean religious in any kind of dogmatic or doctrinal sense. He meant that politics should be, once again, as he said, a part of Dharma too. It should be that which is an expression of our deeper, authentic self. And if you look at the actual gold at the center, the mystical golden core of the American ideal, it is not just radical politically, it's radical spiritually. It has to do with the idea. It is the idea that we could develop a society where to the best of our ability, people are capable of self-actualization, that there would not be chains that bind them, that there would not be things holding them back from the fullest expression of themselves. That's the American ideal. It's not just what you as a gay person can get, or you as a black person can get, or you as a Muslim can get, or Jews can get, as a woman can get. It's what all of us can have because we are within this context of America. And I I think that if you, I, th I think people are hardwired for love of country. We're hardwired for love of God. And if you don't give us the real thing, people will take the ersatz version. And that's what's happened. The right wing has co-opted the genuinely patriotic love of nation, the, 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 the genuine, and, and replace it with the ersatz. They've done the same thing with any spiritual or, or, or sense of higher, higher power um, concept. So I think that the reclamation of the deeper spiritual and emotional and philosophical and psychological dimensions of progressive politics and of America itself is not only essential in order to reclaim uh, progressive politics, but far more importantly, is essential in order to resist the, the demagoguery and the uh, ideological poison that is now perched uh, to dominate 
over the next four years. Mm-hmm. So many people uh, that I know, and I myself, how do, you know when, when someone like Gandhi or King talk about nonviolent resistance. So how do we practice nonviolence? How do we practice a higher spiritual love, let's say, for someone like a Donald Trump, and at the same time passionately and effectively resist what many of us see as a real fascist agenda that is, that is in the air today? Great. Marianne, uh, back in April, uh, I uh, helped organize a, a, a talk that you gave out here in Iowa to support uh, Senator Bernie Sanders uh, in his bid to get the Democratic nomination to run for president. Uh, got a big crowd. Uh, you were very inspiring. Do you think that his message, which obviously connected with a lot of people, <coughs> was uh, a, a message of, uh, that was not transactional but was transform- transformative? And one of the reasons he inspired so many people uh, was that he was connecting with people on a spiritual level. Absolutely, I do. And I think that the the way the elite democratic machinery establishment uh, suppressed his candidacy was because the transactional corporatists weren't going to have any, they weren't going to have it. And how how well did that work out? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I said at the talk that you're mentioning, I remember saying, I saw it on YouTube the other day, that this was not an establishment moment. Um, the American people have figured out that the economy is completely uh, unjust. It's completely skewered <clears throat> in favor of the top 1% and that there was going to be a populist revolution. The only cho- choice we had was between a progressive populism or an authoritarian populism. And I think the Bernie Sanders uh, supporters were providing the Democratic Party with the winning alternative, uh, which was the progressive populism, uh, in the absence of which people, once again, you don't give people the, wrong, the real thing, they go for the ersatz version. And that's a total example. They, the Bernie Sanders campaign offered genuine populism, and um, when it wasn't, uh, when the Democratic Party would not contain that, would not uh, provide a platform for that, people went for the ersatz version. God help us. Uh, Marianne, the... Um the logo that I see on my screen for Sister Giant <clears throat> says, those who sit should also take a stand. I think that's brilliant, actually. And it's very much <laughs> something like very close to something I wrote recently. Uh, expand on that, if you would, because there's a lot of people in the spiritual world whose reaction to the, the election was, you know, everything change comes from sitting, and we can all meditate and pray, and, and things will well, if we think right, turn out right. Well, I think there are a lot of people who say that, but I think there are a lot more who uh, are not saying that. Um, every, every, every movement, just like every person, has a shadow side, but the shadow is not who they are. Uh, there's nothing holy about complacency, obviously. Mm. Um, that sort of silliness and ditziness and all disengagement uh, with, with a kind of ersatz, artificial spiritual cover, um, it's there, but I don't think it is what this movement stands for. Um, in fact, if you look at the history of social justice movements in the United States, starting with uh, abolition, which emerged from the Quakers, Many of the leaders of the women's suffragette movement were Quakers, and obviously Dr. Martin Luther King was a Baptist preacher. When you look at the most powerful social justice movements in the United States, they came from a spiritual vortex, because the spiritual foundation gives you two profound powers. Number one, conviction. Conviction that, that, number, that A, what 
whatever is right now is absolutely intolerable. And number two, what is possible is, is capable of being evoked through what Martin Luther King would call a higher level of companionship. If you take cosmic companionship, he said, if you take something like slavery, there were many people who were against slavery. The difference between those who were against slavery and those who actually became abolitionists were those who felt that it was a moral imperative, not just to criticize it, but to take a stand against it. That spiritual power gives you that, that this is not to be tolerated, not on our watch. But also when you have a, a faith-based perspective, you also believe that anything is possible through the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And we need that right now. We need people who, re, who, who are willing not only to take a stand against a, a, a neo-fascist agenda, white supremacist and so forth, but we need people who are, are capable because they understand the concept of summoning the alternative out of the ethers. Because within the three-dimensional uh, plane, uh, boy, the, the Donald Trump has a lot sewn up. He's won the presidency, he's got the, the Senate, he's got the House, and he's also got millions of people who are enrolled in, a, in, in what many of us perceive as a diabolical vision. One-third of his, of his Twitter supporters are also, um, also belong to uh, white supremacist Twitter sites. So we, we need to, to use the power of the mind and of the spirit to invoke that which literally intercedes and breaks through the chains that are represented by merely three-dimensional powers mm-hmm. to uh, a dimension of possibility which is spiritual in nature. Marianne, you mentioned uh, moral imperatives. What do you believe to be the moral imperatives of our time that we need to embrace? <clears throat> the moral imperative of our time, if it had been before this um, election, I said the moral imperative of our generation was to get the money out of politics because the money, uh, the undue influence of money on our politics is the cancer underlying all the cancers. Given what that's already done, by the way, and that fact was deeply, um, uh, deeply um, influential on the, the de-juicing of the Democratic Party because it was when the Democrats started taking the corporate Wall Street donations and all of that, that's when the de-juicing of the Democratic Party began. Right now, the moral imperative is to take a stand against encroaching fascism. Well, they seem to have taken the money out of politics by putting it right in the cabinet. They, it's unbelievable. This cabinet is filled with billionaires and uh, and generals. It's this velvet militarism. That's another very, very dangerous, not just mm-hmm. the billionaires, but also this image that's being provided, particularly for our kids, to let the generals handle this. Mm-hmm. It's what could be worse for America and what could be more un-American, <laughs> by the way. Right. I mean, I, mean, I want to mention that uh, there, there was that, uh, I don't know if it was a written law or something that was always followed that somebody was going to be uh, Secretary of Defense, they had to be out of the military at least seven years. The gentleman that was selected has been out only three years, so Congress needs to approve that. But again, I, I think that uh, uh, when uh, y- if you um, give a vision of chaos, and I'm going to bring order to that chaos, then that's when the generals come in, and that's when fascism and uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, th- th- that makes it all very uh, possible. I wanted to ask, Marianne, also, uh, you mentioned in, in, in you wrote that it, these are painful times, but they are also pregnant with new possibilities. What is the hope? What are the possibilities that are out there now? Well, I would think that you guys would agree with me. <clears throat> 
that despite everything, there is an awakening in the air today. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that have been disengaged, I mean, uh, you know, Americans sometimes remain asleep for a very long time. But when we awaken, we slam it like nobody's business, you know. There's a reason why uh, Eisenhower, not Eisenhower, Churchill was famous for saying that you can always count on Americans to do the right thing after they have exhausted every other option. <laughs> and I... Right. I I think that, that there's an awakening now and people, and that's why we're doing Sister Giant because I think a lot of people are like, oh, okay, I get there's a problem. What do I do? Right. Um, and that's, that's why we're doing the conference and that's also why we're doing it right after the inauguration. We're not waiting. We can't afford to wait. People say, well, you know, if you do it in March, you'll have more time to prepare. This is an urgent time in American history. It's like people who say, well, let's wait and see. Wait and see. He's already appointed this cabinet filled with billionaires and um and generals it's it you know he said he was going to drain the swamp and he's just poured more alligators in there than ever were before marianne um you also have on the sister giant site uh the question posed what are the deeper transformational lessons to be learned from this moment Yes. I think one of the transformational lessons to be learned is this is what happens when you don't tend to your democracy generation after generation. This is what happens when you dis- when too many of the best and the brightest in your country disengage. This is what happens when you, you, you're not uh, watchful. This is what happens when you let one transgression, undemocratic di- uh, transgression occur, and then you let another one occur, and then you let another one occur, it's like, what did you expect to happen? You have to put gas in your car. You have to tend to your car. You have to tend to your, <clears throat> to your relationship if you really want to have one. What made us think you didn't have to tend to your democracy? And what kind of naivete led us to think that if we weren't tending to it, that the most regressive forces wouldn't take advantage of that, of that opening? Yeah. And, and, and another transformational lesson is that, you know, as, as the French would say, you don't do politics, politics do you. The problem with <clears throat> disengaging from politics is that the people you would least want to have lead you uh, will do that. Now, those are part of all one transformational matrix, um, but I, I think they're all important, and I think we need to, to ask ourselves very deeply, what do I feel about racism? It's easy for people to say, oh, I'm not a racist. I, I, I certainly you know, don't want a racist society. On the other hand, what have you done? to speak out about the private prison system, the prison industrial complex, the fact that one in three African-American men statistically uh, will end up in jail. What have you done? What, what have you, how, how deeply have you entered into the, yes, obviously inconvenient and uncomfortable conversation uh, regarding uh, the racial disparity in our criminal justice system? These are the transformational lessons. The lesson is you live a superficial life, you're going to have problems. You, you, you're going to be superficial with your relationship. Your relationship's not going to work out. You're going to, enter, you're going to be superficial with your career. Your career's not going to work out. And you're going to be superficial with your country and with your democracy. Those aren't going to work out either. Right. Uh, you mentioned the, the prison system and, yeah, and it really being a, a, a great uh, sin, I think, of our society. Uh, 13% of the population is uh, African-American. 43% of the people incarcerated are African-American, uh, usually serving longer terms. I think President Obama was just beginning to uh, to address that. And and by the way, these prisoners uh, are in jail at an average of eighty-three thousand dollars a year per prisoner. So it's a great drain on the society, uh, and and it's a corrupt and wrong 
I think many people feel in, in every way. The, the other area that I'd like you to, to touch upon, and I, uh, I know you'll be covering it in your conference, is the environment. Uh, we, we may be one of only, the only country out of 200 uh, that, uh, that uh, is not embracing uh, the concept of global, global warming, and God knows if we're going to do anything about it now. Uh, your thoughts on that, Marianne? Well, it's part of the the horror of this present moment. The uh, new uh, head of the EPA, appointed by um, President-elect Trump, as we all know, Mr. Pruitt, is a climate change denier. He has frequently tried to sue the EPA. He's one of several uh, new cabinet uh, secretary appointees whose who's, who's, uh, desire is to basically dismantle the, um, the, the agency that he has been appointed to head. Uh, so it's horrifying. Uh, President-elect Trump has said that he um, uh, thinks we should not be part of the Paris Climate uh, Change Agreement. But, you know, it's an interesting thing. There's something so dark here. On one hand, he speaks to uh, Al Gore. Al Gore comes out of the meeting saying it was extremely interesting, saying it was to be continued, and obviously sincerely believing that. The very next day, uh, Trump appoints Pruitt as head of the EPA. So this is this is a very this is uh, his modus operandi. You know, he leads us to have some hope, and you know, he slaps you, and then he soothes you and calms you. Something really dark going on over here, and he tries to cover it up by something light going on over there. Um, some people would say I'm being uh, too cynical here, but I'm simply being descriptive. This is simply what's happening. Marianne, um, I want to ask you something that. Um has come up in, in my conversations with people. <clears throat> you are plainly upfront with your progressive politics. The Sister Giant Conference is uh, bring it, it even says of bringing together an illuminating mix of progressive voices. Not everybody in who has a sincere spiritual life and is even a spiritual teacher a spiritual leader, uh, is progressive politically. There are people who are libertarian or conservative. What do you say in your conversation with them, and how do you bring them in to the larger picture without alienating? Well, it's certainly not my fault that um, the extreme right wing has taken over the uh, Republican Party. I agree with President Eisenhower who said that the American mind at its best is both liberal and conservative. So I grew up at a time, for instance, where there wasn't this sense that Republicans stood for something terrible. You know, they just, we all, it was understood we all had the same goal. And they emphasized uh, issues of, of private morality. They, they emphasized issues of, of the benefits of the market and a market-driven economy, all of which has a place. And then the liberals were more focused on issues of public uh, morality and the idea of our individual, of our collective responsibility to the common good. The dance between those two is important. But right now, as we know, um, too many of the high-minded conservative voices are themselves out of power. Mm -hmm. I mean, look what Trump did to, to Romney. That, he's another example. He liked the meeting with um, uh, Al Gore. So high-minded conservative values I have respect for, and I, and I learn from. And, you know, you don't just learn from people who agree with you. And I, because I do have stuff, such strong views... I'm someone who totally needs to be kept on track sometimes, you know, and I do hear conservatives who say, um, 
who say things and are well, you know, they're right, that's correct as well. However, today that is not the that that high minded conservatism is not in charge of the Republican Party. So right now, to be honest, I don't want to give a platform for anything that would take us away from what I believe has to be an intense focus on winning the House of Representatives back in 2018. And that does not mean voting Republican. Marianne, uh, you've been criticized. And wait, hold on. I want to ask you a question. No. Is that a reasonable answer? It sounds reasonable to me, and I will um, imitate it when I'm confronted with it. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I respect, you know, I respect people like uh, Anna Navarro, for instance. I mean, there are a lot of, or David Frum. Right. There are a lot of principled mm-hmm. conservatives who are standing up to the Trump agenda, and I respect them for that. Yes. It's just that, uh, that that's, that's their job right now. Mine is mine. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes indeed. Yeah. William Crystal just resigned from the Daily Standard and, you know, a strong conservative, but cannot... Who did? I'm sorry? uh, William Crystal. He did. Yeah, and he... he, So somebody new took over, somebody uh, who I think, you know, uh, is going to play ball with Trump more than William Crystal would, and and George Will still is very outspoken. Uh, So, yeah, there are a lot of conservatives. Uh, Jim Leach was a congressman from Iowa and actually... uh, conservative in many ways, but he, he, he spoke out against the uh, Iraq war both times and, uh, you know, has been very marginalized by the Republican Party. He's, no, he's teaching in a law school now and out. So those voices are there, and I think they should be listened to. I want to get back to, Marion, you're, you're, you've no, known worldwide as a spiritual teacher, and I'm sure you've been criticized uh, for uh, getting involved in politics. I know, Phil, uh, you know, uh, you're known for spirituality and, and uh uh, people, what are you talking about politics for? Why do you bring it on your podcast? The people I know that associate me with politics say, why are you involved in spirituality? The people that know me <laughs> that are involved in spirituality say, stick to politics. So, uh, again, and you, you've talked about this, Marianne, but if you could talk about it again, because it's such an important point. Uh, wh- why is it okay, and not only okay, but appropriate for deeply spiritual people who are committed to, to spirituality to also uh, have an agenda in the world to be political? Because we're Americans, Mm. because we live on this earth. We also take a shower. We also eat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We also drive cars. I mean, this idea that spiritual, I mean, is is that not being part of the world, taking care of your body, eating food, taking care of your family, uh, having a job, going to work? It's it's ridiculous. Politics is, as as, uh, Eisenhower said, politics should be a part-time profession of every American. Right. And I, I think it's part of, you know, spirituality is not about ignoring the world. It's about transforming the world. Right. And how do you transform the world with love if you refuse to disengage with it? Mm-hmm. I said to someone recently who told me that, I said, well, if your son or daughter suddenly had a school principal who was doing terrible and fascistic things, wouldn't you respond? And, you know, this is not very different from that. I do. I think I, I must say I think most of the disengagement, and and I know this sounds a little harsh, but I think most of the disengagement on the part of so-called spiritual types, disengagement from the political process, and this is not true of everyone, but I think most of it that I hear is not from a deeply principled place. It's from a a a place where people are in denial, perhaps even to themselves about how they're just looking for an excuse for not helping. Mm-hmm. And a, a kind of half-baked spiritual mm-hmm. understanding is, 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 is used as a cover. 
There is, in fact, no serious spiritual path, no serious religious path that gives any of us a pass on addressing the suffering of other sentient beings. Mm -hmm. The idea of a spirituality that doesn't care about genocide, that doesn't Mm -hmm. care about atrocities, that says, oh, it's all an illusion anyway. So would they be, if they were walking down the street and somebody falls down in front of them with a heart attack, does that mean that in the name of spirituality, they would not call 911? Mm-hmm. No, I sure. think that very, very well put. And uh, as a matter of fact, when I'm confronted with people that try to disengage uh, spirituality from, from politics, and I think one of the dangers of spiritual practices, one can become self-absorbed, is I, I said, well, uh, I don't, do know people that are deeply spiritual uh, that, that are very uh, concerned about what's going on in the world, and even political, uh, like Marianne Williamson or Pope Francis or the Dalai Lama, uh, very deeply committed to, to changing the world. And that depth of commitment comes from their own inner spirituality. And I think it's just, and Phil and I, right, we, we've experienced so many folks that have, uh, we come to uh, who, because of their spiritual backgrounds, but it seems at some <clears throat> point, especially as they grow in their spirituality, they feel commit, committed to making social change. Yeah, and, and those are the very people, the very kinds of people that Marianne has coming to Sister Giant to get back to that. <laughs> I see people on your speaker list, Marianne, like uh, Andrew Harvey, who's a friend and who you've had, we've had on the show. You have uh, Mary Morrissey, Robert Thurman, um, Gene Houston, uh, uh, and uh, other people better known in the political arena. Please tell us more about what's going to take place on February 2nd to the 4th. Well, it's Thursday night, all day Friday and all day Saturday. So the idea here is that, as Gandhi said, the end is inherent in the means. Everything we do is infused with the consciousness with which we do it. So if we set about seeking to resist the Trump agenda only from a place of rage, anger, cynicism, and so forth, then we, we will not succeed because when you have a black magician, you know, which is basically what we're talking about here, you know, Michelle Obama received the word of God when she said, they go low, we go high. Instead, what Hillary Clinton did was she wandered into the black magician's cave and he will eat you for lunch every time. The only choice is to go high. So we go high by decluttering our own consciousness of our own anger. We're just saying it like it is. It's simply that this is not acceptable. This is not about personal anger at, at Donald Trump. It is about an absolute unwillingness to abide by an agenda that we find intolerable, undemocratic, and un-American. So the first day, when you mention people like Andrew Harvey and Gene Houston, what we will do on Friday is we will talk about the archetypal realities, the spiritual realities. What, you know, when I look at something like misogyny, anti-Semitism, racism, xenophobia, they're like herpes. Once they're in your system, you don't get rid of them, but you, you hope that they do not become symptomatic. So these forces, of, they are like ancient strains of darkness within the human psyche, and they will be there apparently until we are completely enlightened as human beings. But they are usually kept from becoming symptomatic in a way that can actually disturb the social order. And that's what happened this time, because these dark strains of psychic strains were harnessed for political purposes. So we need to have a deep conversation not just how to, to, 
to suppress the symptom of racism or the symptoms of misogyny. We need to have a deep conversation about how to write, route, route out of our consciousness the misogyny and the racism themselves. So that's what Friday is about. Friday is there's a religion panel. There's a panel talking about um, what, what these deeper internal changes are that need to occur. So that by the time we get to Saturday and we're talking about voter suppression and we're talking about criminal injustice and we're talking about the environment and we're talking about getting the money out of politics, we, we are grounded in a different place of consciousness than we would have been had we not gone through the processes of the day before. Wonderful. So and we, it, yeah, go, go on. I'm sorry. No, that's it. That's just we, have, we approach the political issues from a genuinely integrated place. We don't just talk about it. We actually go through the internal changes to the best of our ability so that we are prepared for the path ahead, as not just as people coming from a transactional uh, political perspective, but from a genuine transformational field of possibility. So, so the, the conference, Sister Giant 2017, uh, the location, Washington, D.C., February 2nd to 4th, uh, it will also, I understand, uh, Marianne, stream live. Do you want to tell us about that? Yes. People, if people go to sistergiant.com, they will see not only how to register to be there in person, and I think if people can get there in person, there's, you know, there's nothing like being in the room where it happens, right? right? Being in the room where you're with so many like-minded people who are going through those same internal processes. But people can also live stream it. And if you go to sistergiant.com, you'll see all of that. And we'll have that all posted up on our blog uh, at, at spiritmatterstalk.com. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Marianne. Any final words, Phil? Uh, thank you. I would just ask Marianne, because some people might tune in to this uh, after February and after the conference, because it'll be archived, um, what can you say about uh, post-Sister Giant conference activities that they may be interested in? Well, you know, it's funny, uh, Dennis, you might not realize this, but you said to me the other day, you wrote me an email, and you, you referred to the Giant Steps Conference. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and I thought, I wonder if he's receiving something. <laughs> you know, um, to be honest, the Sister Giant Conferences are kind of like a party that I put on because I want to, you know, and I, I don't want to start a, another nonprofit. I don't want to start a C4. I've done all that in my life. And to be honest, I, I was hoping never to have to do anything like that again. Uh, it's a, it's a, it, those are really um, shark-infested waters, necessary though they are. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just, for myself, speaking only for myself, my goal is that you leave Sister Giant lit up. And what you do after that is none of my business. And what I do after that, I can't know either. I think if people stay in touch with me at Marianne.com, then you'll hear whatever I've got going. And if I feel moved after Sister Giant to form what Dennis already named Giant Step, uh, then I'm, I'm sure I'll be guided to do that. Right now, uh, my guidance is, number one, uh, to produce the um, uh, conference and also, after this podcast, to ask you guys um, to refer back to something you were talking about earlier on the podcast um, that I want to ask you about in terms of uh, more conservative voices. Great. Thank you so much for being with us, Marianne, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, thank thank you, you. so much for having me. I'm honored. Thank you. Uh, a pleasure, and uh, we look forward to having you on again.